0: Hello and welcome to What The Denmark, the show that explains things that seem peculiar as an outsider in Denmark. I'm Sam.
1: And I'm Josefine. Each episode we'll discuss a new topic, talk to experts and try to understand why something so normal in Denmark is confusing to foreigners. Despite living abroad for many years, I'll be giving the inside view of Danish culture.
0: And as you can probably tell from my accents, I'm originally from the UK, and so we'll be giving the outside view of the country. Our ultimate goal is to resolve cultural confusion in Denmark. This show is just one part of that mission, and so stick around to the end to hear about how you too can be involved. This is probably the hottest topic when it comes to non-Danes moving to Denmark. How to make friends with Danish people.
1: Danes have a reputation for being tough to get to know and not always the warmest. This can make things difficult for those who are new in the country, or indeed Danes moving to a new part of Denmark.
0: This is the first of two introductory episodes we are doing on Danish friendships. In this first episode, we're going to talk about some of the theory behind how and why friendships in Denmark are different, using the metaphor of coconuts and peaches.
1: And in the following episodes, go into the practicalities of how to make friends with Danes. For now, though, let's go straight into it by starting with what it's like for non-Danes living in Denmark, looking for friends.
0: So, Josephine, in this first bit, I thought it would be good for us to talk about some of the the common ways that Danes are often described when it comes to making friends, especially people who are new to the country. Uh, We've gone through a lot of articles in doing this research um, for this episode. And some words that sort of come out are like cold, lack of spontaneity. Do you happen to have any sort of experience or thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, My children, two of them, go to the international school north of Copenhagen. And there we obviously meet a lot of people from all over the world. And uh, they really struggle with uh, making Danish friends. They really struggle. They would love to engage, but mostly end up having international friends in Denmark because they can't break into the Danish circles. Hmm. So often what happens is that you come to Denmark and one of you in a couple has a job and uh, the other one, the spouse, might not have a job yet. People often experience that if they don't even have colleagues, how do they meet people here? You go to hobbies, you might uh, engage in sports, but people don't tend to invite you out afterwards or back into their homes. Uh, And that's often because the Danes, they have very small friendship circles and uh, they are very close with their family, spend a lot of time engaging with them. Um, And therefore, it doesn't seem like there's more space in their lives for Mm. more friendships.
0: And I'm just wondering, so I and both of us have had experience living in multiple countries. And I'm curious if this this situation that the um, the other parents that you're speaking with and they're saying, OK, we've come to this new country and it's actually really tough in Denmark. What what might that look like in another country?
1: So, for example, if you're in the US, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in South Africa, generally people do tend to invite you to their home if you're new because they they are curious about you. First of all, they think it's interesting that someone from abroad has come their way. And also they want to be hospitable. They want to make sure that you're invited in and you see the best of their country. And therefore you'd find that generally you are invited into their space quite easily. Also, obviously, if you have children or a job, then it's it's even easier abroad. But I think in Denmark, we don't really see it that way because we have two spheres. We have the private sphere which is very private, and then we have the work sphere, which is a work sphere. And the one in between, it doesn't really exist. So that's where people from abroad often tend to drown.
0: Mm, Totally. I mean, so my experience living in Kenya, there are two sort of camps. There's sort of people who are from Kenya and they are the expats. And I find that when you are an expat, it's almost like these are this is your family abroad. People are all in this sort of a relatively similar situation. So a lot of people who are in their twenties choosing to live in East Africa, um, there's a lot of commonalities that you're going to have anyway. And so it's pretty easy to strike up friendships. But equally when I then make Kenyan friends, there is very much a as you say, the curiosity, like, why in the world have you chosen to live here? Like, tell us about your country. Yeah, you know, what happens back home? And a very welcoming sort of, okay, straight away, oh, we've got this. Party. Party. Got this wedding. Come along to this wedding that my cousin's having. Uh, and just straight away, you're like, okay, now I'm getting to meet lots of people. And it just feels very, oh, I'm here and I've got people and I've sort of got this network. Whereas coming to Denmark, it is a little bit different where it's sort of maybe there's a little nod at the school gate or you might sort of exchange a brief hello with someone at, at, at the office. But other than that, you kind of, you go home all alone.
1: Exactly. It's it's quite <laughs> sad, actually. And and um, it's interesting because I think Danes, they really enjoy when they go abroad. They love engaging with other cultures and they love being invited in. But for some reason, we struggle to do it ourselves. Mm. And, um, and I think it's partly because we are a very small country and uh, we engage a lot with the friends we have from a very early age. And we bond with, with these groups of friends from early childhood, and then we stick with them. And that takes up all our, our space and time. And then we don't have a tradition for just throwing huge parties and inviting mm. everyone along. It tends to be smaller groups, smaller parties, um, very much around sitting around a table, eating together. Mm-hmm. And tables can only be so big.
0: <laughs> yes, especially in apartments that are quite cramped, I find. And that's the other
1: thing. It's about space, isn't it? Um, We obviously live in a cold climate. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we tend to be inside a lot.
0: It's true. I mean, yeah, living in in Kenya, a lot of socialising would happen outside.
1: Yeah, around the barbecue. And there's always room for more people. So it's the same in South Africa. Everybody just brings their own meat, throw it on the barbecue, and then you have a full-day party. Yeah, and
0: suddenly you've got 40 people there. And, you know, you're you're mingling, you're having a (laughs) chit-chat. Iron? Johnny, Brian, do you want to bring your this meat? Is our background. So beautiful. Whereas I guess that's, that's less part of the, the Danish culture to have those types of events which kind of foster those sort of easy conversations, easy friendships to be made.
1: And then we also have one other dimension and that is the lack of going out culture. So we don't tend to have a local mm. pub or a local restaurant that we go and hang out in where you could just invite more people along. We tend to invite people into our homes for dinner parties. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, it's a lot more hassle whenever you have new people coming through. So yeah. you, it's not like, let's go to the local, come join us, join us, join us. Mm. No, we tend to be organising very far in advance. Mm-hmm. In two months, you're coming for this dinner party and these are the people who are coming and it tends to be a relatively small
0: group. Yeah, well, there's a few th- a few things on that. One is there was this one article in particular. I'll just put a link to it in afterwards which was basically saying this this lack of spontaneity is really difficult in a way that in other places, let's say you move to Italy, suddenly it might be four o'clock on a Friday. What are you plans to do tonight? Oh, we're doing this. Suddenly you're going out for drinks, then dinner. Oh, some more people start coming in and it's just a bit more free flowing. Um, and that sort of allows more people to sort of flow in and out of your life as opposed to it being fitting into a sort of calendar appointment at a certain time. And th- the other point is just, we're sort of talking about this in the abstract, but there's there's this organization called InterNations. And they basically are a community of expats, I suppose you'd call it. And they do this survey every year where they rank ex- expats experiences in different countries. And so there's 64 different countries that they do the survey on various things, what it's like to set up a bank account, how, how easy it is to uh, get a job. And one of them is ease of making friends. And out of 64 countries, Denmark comes the bottom. Yeah, I'm not the, surprised. The very bottom. Easy I, in terms of friendship.
1: Yeah. W- where are the uh, other Scandinavian countries?
0: Uh, 59, 62 and 63.
1: Okay, so they <laughs> yeah. are yeah. amongst the worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is difficult to break into Scandinavian culture. I mean, mm. we obviously have this concept of hygge, mm. but hygge tends to be a concept that goes with being a, a very small group of friends who know each other very well. Mm-hmm. So your friends are almost like family. Mm-hmm. You know each other well. You move in the same groups, and it is very difficult to break into right. that. And also in terms of the language barrier, mm-hmm. we—if you have such a close knit group, you will always be a bit of a disruptor if you don't speak the language and the lingo and know the culture.
0: Oh my gosh, a hundred percent! Like I, I can snag Litansk men but um but i really feel it where i'm sort of yeah you know, in a you know chatting with a group of danes they're graciously speaking english and i'm like okay oh, cool, i'm just gonna you know go to the bar or something and i come back and everyone's like clearly just reverting to speaking danish and they're just so at ease and then somebody might sort of notice you know sam's come back and then people switch to english and i'm just like oh like yeah i can at the moment i can talk about yeah how was your week or Where do you live? Like (laughs) Vorbodu, maybe a little bit more. But you know the basics of like having a normal conversation. And I just my my heart goes out every time I see names switching for me, and clearly having maybe a eighty percent conversation, let's say.
1: And they're trying to be polite. They do really want to include. If you do break into that friendship circle, they so want to include. But obviously that takes effort on their side. And actually, it's interesting as well. If you do want to be better at Danish, actually, it would be in your interest that they were just not speaking English very well. I didn't bother mm-hmm. because that way you would very quickly, um, first of all, you'd not find that everyone switched for your sake, which can be quite difficult. I think it almost feels like, you know, you're ruining the, the conversation mm. or the, the the easygoing atmosphere. I know my husband does that. He's English too.
0: Mm. The one sort of, uh, and again, this, may, this might just be my friends being kind to me, but people do often say, oh, I never actually speak proper English. Or, you know, I, I spend so much of time only speaking Danish that actually speaking with a native English person and perhaps hearing some new idi- idioms. Or So often when I'm doing it, I might like throw in an idiom or something. Like, oh, I'm feeling a bit under the weather. Like, under the weather? What does that mean? Huh. Actually, it means I'm feeling a bit ill. Um, so, you know, I often try and do that because that idea of like learning a bit more about English and people getting to practice their English can actually be a bit of a... The benefits,
2: yeah.
1: And I know, particularly with the older generation, they love when they get to practice their English, actually. So that's also, that's a positive part, I think. And that's actually about engaging with you. They want to meet you where you are. And I think that's something that shows the Danes actually do want to engage. It's just the Danish friendship space is a very difficult one to break into. It's not that they don't want to hmm. be hospitable.
0: Fantastic segue, Josephine, because we're now going to talk about this uh, this cultural theory. So basically, it's, it's this concept of coconuts and peaches. So it's a theory that looks at the spheres of personal and private life. So if you consider a peach, it's very soft on the outside, and you can access a lot of the peach without much difficulty. Contrast this with a coconut, where it's very tough to break it open and get in. The analogy is extended to cultures.
1: So I suppose, actually, when I think about this, the US would be a peach, wouldn't it?
0: 100% peach.
2: win Levin was a German psychologist who went to America. He said, how come Americans are so upfront with their information? You hardly know them and they talk about their cholesterol levels. And it's kind of interesting because he said, Americans are like peaches with a lot of accessible flesh with a tough nut in the center. And we Germans are like coconuts, and as you see, we don't shave each other, right? <laughs> now let's take the American model. When I went to America, I, I lived a couple of years in Philadelphia. The first thing they do when you invite people is they're in your refrigerator, it's very public. But for most Europeans, it's not what you do. What the hell are you doing in my refrigerator, right? And then we didn't have a car, typically Dutch, you borrow one. In America, you need my car, here's my car. Have you tried this in Germany? Are you kidding? <laughs> no way, he's my wife, but leave my car, okay? <laughs> Now, according to Lewin, this leads to a specific relationship. If I relate to you, you relate to me. Cut the crap, what is this about? Now, the biggest problems in diverse cultures is how does the peach meet the coconut, the danger zone?
0: That was Fons Trompenaars, a Dutch organisational theorist and management consultant. His seven dimensions of national culture differences is a classic in the world of cross-cultural communication. And that was taken from a TEDx talk he did in 2013.
1: I remember I've had so many experiences, either flying somewhere or being in the U.S. And whenever you sit next to an American, they literally ask you about the most.
0: Intimate. Intimate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So they literally ask you about the most intimate parts of your life, about your upbringing, about your home, about your relationship. And you sit there and they 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 ask you,
0: what's your name? Yeah.
1: Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and, but actually, it's very refreshing. And I also mm. find that when you sit uh, on a bus or on on a plane or in a restaurant, and you have Americans uh, on one of the tables or next to you, then you know all about their lives, even if you didn't sit next <laughs> to them because they speak really loudly. Yeah. But it's refreshing. Mm. It's refreshing that they want to talk about that, and I bet you learn a lot from meeting people all over and having these conversations.
0: So, and also, just sort of again feeling welcome. So you you, know, you you arrive in the US, oh my God, like, tell me about your family. What's this? What's this? We're doing this. We're doing this. And just suddenly you're like, wow, okay, I do feel part of this. The, the, the flip side of it is is the coconut, where very tough to get into. But, but I think that the nice thing about the coconut is that once you're in, you're in.
1: And that's the Danes, I imagine. And that's the Danes,
0: exactly. Yes, that's the Danes. <laughs> the
1: Scandinavians. Scand- yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so once you're in, you're in. And so it can feel like at first, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm here. Really not feeling that welcome. But... Once you get to that point of, OK, I'm a friend with a date, in my experience, at least, it's like we are committed to each other. You're in is, now. Yeah. And I think that the thing which a lot of people say about the US is it can feel really welcoming. Oh, my God, let's do lunch. We should take you to do lunch one day. And so it feels very welcoming, but actually it doesn't, people don't always follow through. And it's often a bit more for show. And actually, in terms of having those deep, meaningful friendships, that can often be a bit more difficult in the US.
1: Yeah, and I suppose it's a matter of you being part of a bigger group. So it's what we call acquaintances. Hmm. Um, so a, an acquaintance, it's quite easy to become an acquaintance on kind of a friendship level in many cultures across the world. In Denmark, we, you don't become an acquaintance in that way. You become either a friend or otherwise you're someone you know at uh, at the entrance of the, the school gate or at work, hmm. um, wherever you come across each other.
0: Why do you think Danes keep close friends? Why, why do you think that something about Denmark and Danish people says that they prioritise making these close, these few close friends as opposed to sort of spreading it out a bit like acquaintances?
1: I think it's about those small groups that we were just talking about before, about fitting everyone uh, around the dinner table, because that's how we tend to engage around a big meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only limited space. Then I think it's about the fact that when... You grow up as a Dane, you don't tend to mix with that many different people because the schools are smaller mm. than in many other parts of the world. The class sizes are relatively small. And once you start at school um, as a child, you basically you stay in that same class with that same group of people through your whole um, education, first part of your education. So basically from grade naught, when you're 6 mm. to grade 9, when you're about 16, I think, you are with the same group of people. So whereas in many other countries, it's mixed every year. And so you have to oh, engage uh, with different children. Every,
0: every class, I would have you know, a few, a few lessons with one group and then we'd go into science class and maths class and, and every, it would all be mixed around. So I would feasibly know quite well 150 people in my school yet.
1: Yeah. I um, had an experience with my daughter who was first in a Danish school when we we came back to Denmark from abroad. And there were some issues in that class with the culture. And so I discussed with the head of the school, could one mix the classes in that year so that we could change the culture and maybe create some new dynamics in the different groups of children? And uh, she basically said she tried out that international approach Mm -hmm. um, in a different school and there'd been an outcry because Danes are just not used to that. And it was almost like committing a crime against the children's human rights because how could you stop them from bonding and staying close to the friends that they'd bonded with from an early age? So this whole like keeping the group close-knit and making sure that they... Almost become a bit like family or siblings mm-hmm. in this group was very important to to the parents, but they'd obviously never seen anything else. They didn't yeah. know that in other parts of the world it's totally different.
0: different. Yeah, well, I, I think you know the, the end game is is good. I mean, if you look at you know Denmark is often said you know, it's, you know, the happiest country in the world, or, or sort of very high on that. And if you sort of break down the elements of happiness, that at its core is deep, meaningful relationships. And so somebody who you can, you know, people who you can rely on, people who you have this deep sense of connection with. And that only really comes from having a really sort of honest, open, long-standing friendship with someone. And so, you know, often when people talk about, you know, the issues of loneliness and people feeling uh, isolated, yes, they might have some acquaintances, people they say hello to in the pub, but they don't have people who they can really talk to and they can really feel close to. And so I think it's worth remembering that, there is a real upside in having close relationships. And it does seem that Danish culture really prioritises and fosters these type of of really sort of intimate relationships.
1: And I suppose it's also part of being a small nation where we can keep engaging with those small groups of friends. Because if you lived in the States, often... Uh, career will take you different parts of your country and it's a huge country uh it's the same in the uk well, I say, um, e-
0: even the uk because i think this is a really interesting point which i think you make is so I, I went to school i grew up in the middle of england uh so i had my mates from school i then went to university in the north of england where i had yeah, a number of university friends then i went and lived in london for, for four years and so th- my home friends and my university friends very separate rarely would they ever meet or interact and i think also when i was up at university in the north of england it's maybe a four-hour train journey away if some of my school friends were having a you know a birthday party mid term i probably wouldn't be able to come down or equally if my parents had something and you know, maybe i'd come down and you know, see my parents birthday but if it's like my aunt's having a cup of tea do you want to come around yeah you know, i'm not going to make a four-hour train journey down for that and so it really is sort of this this fact of okay well this weekend that I could be back home, continuing that relationship that I have with my home friends, I'm actually going to spend that developing new friendships. And so I do really see your point of, OK, if if you only really are an hour away from anywhere in Denmark, then you really can that weekend. Oh, let's do go back and go to our aunts. And you're expected
1: to go. Expect the to Danes go. Yes. get quite upset mm. if you don't prioritize your friendships and your family. Mm. And I even experienced that living across the world that people expected me to fly back because it was an important round birthday party or something like that. You commit to each mm. other. And and actually, I, I did tend to try to do that. And we found as a family abroad that often we could not go on normal holidays, family holidays, because mm. all the time uh, we could take a holiday would be going to weddings um, or family. It would be going to round birthdays. All the holiday budget would be spent on flying home and making sure that we engage with the family and friends who expect us to be there for them.
0: Well, certainly one thing I've noticed or experienced is this idea that when it comes to friendships and groups, less is more. So just as a sort of comparison, so when I was in, in Kenya, there'd be quite a few expats quite a few uh, Kenyan friends as well and it was very much more is more okay with four of us are going for dinner um oh my gosh let's get Sam and Camilla come down let's get Conrad let's get these other people let's bring them along oh you're doing dinner okay well totally if we've got six people that's you know five conversations you can have if you've suddenly got ten people that's nine conversations you can have okay this is brilliant and so let's say that you've got get a bit mathematical about it you know let's say you've got three nights out a week um you know suddenly there you're able to meet interact with 27 different people versus if you just interact with twos and threes you've seen maybe six and so it just means that the number of people that you can feel in that sort of sphere of acquaintance slash friendship and um, there's just so much more that you can you can have whereas here it was very much like okay well we've got you know we're going out for dinner four of us and you know oh should we bring so and so long i mean it might mm might sort of mix up the vibe. It, it was never necessarily said explicitly, but it was always like, ah, oh, maybe that will kind of <laughs> dilute the, the 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 value that we get from it.
1: Exactly. So you really think carefully about also how you're mixing people mm. in, because is it someone from that group? Because you would have groups of friends in Denmark too, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you will mix them, but you're also very much aware that, you know, you don't want to rock the boat too much because actually you have this space with that group. There's that Mm. intimate space here and then maybe that could be another group, the family, there's this intimate space here. Mm. You'll have certain parties where you bring everyone in, but generally you will engage in smaller groups. Yeah, and it
0: might sort of change the dynamic slightly. So if you've got a fairly sort of shallow friendship with someone, then adding a few other people into the mix is not really going to matter because you're never going to talk about, you know, whatever, you know, some really deep stuff. And so if you've got that sort of quite shallow relationship, then adding a few more people in doesn't really affect the dynamic. But if it is sort of like one of your core friends and you only get a chance to see them once every three weeks and you need to talk to them about this terrible boss you've got or something. And then someone else comes in, you might not feel comfortable really going that deeply with that Conversation
1: person. ruined. Yeah. So you kind of <laughs> just have to talk about,
0: oh, it's in the weather or whatever. Yeah.
1: Totally. I miss... Uh, my acquaintances, which Mm. were also my extremely good friends in South Africa. And I loved engaging in crowds, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt that we could go quite deep, actually. Mm. Um, But it would be deep around the barbecue or deep around a campfire or deep in in a different way that you get in Denmark, for sure. Mm. Um, But I thought that the Danes could also learn from that way Mm. of engaging.
0: So we'll leave this episode here to give you some time to perhaps reflect on what friendships mean to you and some of the things that we've discussed.
1: I certainly find that it's not often that I get to think so analytically about the types of friendships I have or how and why my friends and I might interact in certain ways.
0: When you're ready, head over to listen to part two of this episode, where we feature a conversation I had with two great friends, one Danish, one Brazilian about their top tips and more generally life philosophy about making friends in denmark we also talk about practical things to make friends in denmark including josephine's top tip
1: invite people over for a wine tasting get everyone to bring a bottle and you'll never be short of friends
0: well we hope you enjoyed part one and the snaggers again in part two Thanks to everyone who has helped in the creation of the episode, including David Doliak, Guki Guna Shivali, Reke Campbell, Andreas Poulsen, Kevin Mose, and Tevin Sudi.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show. We're still early in our journey of resolving cultural confusion in Denmark and would love for you to join us by subscribing to the show on your podcast app. If you like this episode, please consider telling a friend about it. And you can also head over to www.whatthedenmark.com to receive our newsletter. Thanks for listening. I'm Josefina Volkvat.
0: And I'm Sam Floyd. If we just practice speaking. So I'm yeah. on this one. Cool. You're on that one.
1: Actually, it works really well to be standing, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it? Yeah. yeah.